Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Hello and welcome to the web, this webinar on livestock risk management. We appreciate you participating and look forward to a lively discussion for the next hour on livestock risk management issues. With the challenges that we've seen in livestock markets, with the advent of new features and, and additions or amendments to the Livestock Risk Protection Program or Livestock uh, you know, Risk Protection Program, there are opportunities here for new risk management thinking and new risk management education. Uh, we have the privilege of collaborating today between USDA and a couple of the agencies at USDA, as well as the Extension Risk Management Education Program. You see on your opening slide there, the list of today's speakers, and we greatly appreciate Greg Ibach and Bill Northey joining us from USDA. Uh, we also see Shannon Nybergs, Elliot Dennis, and Brandon Willis joining us uh, with their expertise as well. I'm Brad Lubin. I'm a policy specialist at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, and I'm also the director of the North Central Extension Risk Management Education Center. Uh, the North Central Center is one of five centers across the country all funded through competitive grants from USDA's National Institute of Food and Agriculture and funded to deliver a regional competitive grants program for producer-focused risk management education. Shannon Nybergs is on as well as the director of the North uh, or of the Western Extension Risk Management Education Center. I wanna mention my colleagues as well, Lori uh, Walensky of the University of Delaware at the Northeast Center and Ron Rainey at the University of Arkansas at the Southern Center. We also have a fifth center, uh, the digital center uh, is our support center for online uh, application reporting and resource information. You can find more information about our Extension Risk Management Education Program at the website extensionrme.org. You can also find more information from USDA, either at the general usda.gov website or at the farmers.gov website uh, with features and with information on many of the available programs. Now on to today's session. We're talking about livestock risk management uh, with the issues in the marketplace, with the additional uh, features now available in the insurance programs. It's a great time to talk about issues and, and tools. I'm pleased in this first session uh, to invite Greg Ibach and Bill Northey to the uh, discussion. Uh, Greg is the USDA Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs. Uh, that includes uh, AMS, uh, APHIS, and the uh, GIPSA, the Grain Inspection, Packers, and Stockyards Administration. Um, AMS completed a study here in this earlier this year of ongoing livestock market issues. Uh, and one of those uh, issues or one of the findings of that report included uh, the need for and the uh, impetus for risk management education efforts. 
So I first invite Greg to the, uh, to the podium here today and, uh, and welcome him back to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, uh, at least for the moment, where Greg was a student and an alum of uh, the uh, College of Agriculture and both the Animal Science and Agricultural Economics Departments. So Greg, welcome back to uh, the University of Nebraska. Well, thank you very much. And it's a great pleasure to be able to be with you today and join with you. You know, as the Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, after the, uh, uh, the fire in the plant in Holcomb, Kansas, and then the COVID outbreak, uh, our efforts were focused on being able to look for answers uh, to help the beef industry understand what happened and why, and what could we do to maybe keep uh, the market swing and the reactions in the marketplace from having adverse effect on producers in the future. This was a, a topic that I was anxious to embrace uh, as a, um, uh, not only do I have my, wear my hat as a government official, but I also am an active, uh, we have an active farm and ranch, family farm and ranch back in central Nebraska where we are cow-calf producers. And so uh, for my sons and daughter who are back on the ranch now that operate the ranch, it's a very important topic for me as well that uh, we figure out how producers deal with market swings more effectively. And we also look at what caused those and what USDA and other segments within the government may or may not be able to do to be able to uh, help out at times like that. As we uh, did an initial uh, dive into the situation, you know, we wanted to make sure that we looked at uh, price discovery, uh, and competition, and transparency to make sure that those tools uh, were active and those features were uh, available to producers. And so uh, one of the things that is important to note about the Packers and Stockyards Administration within USDA's um, Fair Trade Division is that we're actively on the job all the time, regardless of a crisis coming up. If producers see uh, developments within the marketplace that they think are anti-competitive or uh, not transparent or present unfair practices, uh, they're always encouraged to contact USDA and uh, we will look into uh, those uh, concerns you have and if any specific examples are always welcome for us to be able to follow up to conduct an investigation. As we de uh, developed our report and trying to find ways that USDA could be proactive in addressing uh, the concerns that came out of uh, the Holcomb fire and COVID, uh, there were three buckets that we identified. One was things that uh, USDA might could do. One, uh, the next bucket was actions that Congress might want to consider uh, to change the direction and the statutes to give USDA different authorities um, to be able to uh, um, maybe provide some greater relief at times of stress. And the third ones were things that the industry might want to consider. But within that bucket of what can the USDA do, some of the things we pointed to was uh, uh, producer education. And market news is one of the uh, stalwarts of the ag marketing service. 
Uh, we produce a number of reports each and every day that are available to livestock producers and especially beef and uh, beef producers that uh, we're not sure that everybody's always aware of. We've also adapted those tools to be more easily available and for producers to be able to access that data and customize it to work for, the, for them specifically. We also identified another opportunity in that some of our reports, the, their titles were ambiguous and some of them indicated that they may not be final reports. So we changed the name of some of our reports that we thought would help the market react to actual slaughter each and every day uh, and uh, figure that into their reaction to different shifts in the marketplace or different current events in the marketplace. So we changed an estimated slaughter report into an actual slaughter report. We also, as a result of the Farm Bill, initiated uh, some cattle centers across the United States. One's at Colorado State, one's at West Texas A&M, and one's at Clay Center, uh, Nebraska that are able to provide some educational opportunities to producers. And later this fall, we'll be providing some of those educational opportunities. But most importantly, we thought that the report identified the need to make USDA's risk management tools that Bill Northey, who will be talking to you right after this, administers through his mission area that uh, to, uh, make adjustments to those, to make them better understood by producers and help producers embrace them. Grain farmers embrace risk management tools provided by USDA each and every day, and our livestock producers don't do that at the same level. And so this uh, webinar is a great outgrowth of that discussion that the report started, and I wanna thank um, uh, Brad and uh, Dr. Lubin and his counterparts for uh, being proactive and hosting this uh, webinar today and giving us the opportunity to, uh, to bring some of the USDA products to greater visibility. So Brad, thank you. Greg, thank you for uh, those introductory comments. Bill, I welcome you to today's program as well. Bill Northey is the Undersecretary uh, for farm programs and conservation. Uh, that includes oversight of the Farm Service Agency, uh, the Risk Management Agency, and the Natural Resource Conservation Service. Uh, in that role, Bill also plays a role on the board of the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation, uh, which in fact was responsible or, or involved with uh, some of the changes to the LRP program that will be discussed uh, during today's call. So Bill, we welcome you to the program. I applauded Greg for his uh, uh, degrees from the University of Nebraska. So I likewise uh, note that you're also a product of the Wayne Grant system uh, from Iowa State University and an Iowa native. So Bill, welcome to today's program. Brad, thank you. Um, great to be with you and thank you for putting this program on and certainly to all the producers out there and those directly involved in the industry, thank you uh, for being a part of a great industry that uh, has had plenty of challenges, uh, but uh, continue to march on and produce great food for Americans across this country. Uh, Greg mentioned his background uh, in uh, the cattle business. Um, and uh, I grew up on a cattle feeding farm. When I left the farm three years ago for this job, I was not actively feeding cattle anymore. Both of us have an appreciation uh, for the need for risk management tools. 
uh, for producers. Um, and that has been very important. I'll kind of talk from the producer side and, and the risk management tool side. Um, Greg talked about structure um, and reporting, um, competition within the industry. Uh, so as Brad mentioned, uh, we have the risk management area, uh, risk management agency within our mission area. Um, we have several um, crop insurance tools. We call them crop insurance, uh, cattle or crop too, I guess. And uh, these are crop insurance tools, uh, livestock gross margin, very lightly used, but designed to protect a margin uh, between feed and gross revenue um, and to ensure for a producer that a much more heavily used has been the livestock risk protection program, uh, especially on the feeder cattle side. That's, that's been its heaviest use. Both of those programs, uh, we're allowing greater size operators to be a part of those programs in the future. Uh, we're also increasing the subsidy with regular crop insurance um, uh, that a person buys for their corn or soybeans uh, or other crops out there. Typically, maybe half of the premium a producer needs to pay to be a part of it so that, uh, uh, that it's a true insurance product is subsidized by the federal government. With both of these products, it's been much lower than that. And, and we're bumping the premium up much closer to that uh, for both LGM and LRP. Um, and then historically as well, um, and these products, sometimes you have to pay upfront your premium um, before you have the cattle sold and before you know what's resulted. And that makes sense, I guess. It, sometimes we have to do that with regular insurance, but really typically with crop insurance, we pay after the, the fact. Uh, we pay our, our crop insurance premium for corn that's raised from May to October in October. Um, and we're changing that as well for 2021. Um, so that will be a little easier for folks to be able to come up with after hopefully you've had a profitable uh, feeder cattle crop or a profit profitable uh, crop coming out of the feed yard, um, you are able to be able to afford that risk management tool, whether it kicked in or not, you're certainly required to be able to make the premium payment uh, at that time, but it's a lot more flexibility for producers. Let me mention a dairy revenue protection, not obviously directly applicable here, but a new product that came about two years ago, huge adoption um, and really kind of set up like we're trying to set up LRP a little bit more with a good subsidy to it. Uh, it's actually set up around products so that you can ensure class three or class four or some combination. And it really was creativity. Um, in this case, it was uh, American Farm Bureau and others that came forward with this product. And I, I think of it as a way to share that we are interested in new risk management tools. We're interested in adjustments to the risk management tools that we have that can make them work better as well. Uh, whether that's timing of, of when you apply, whether that's different uh, ways to be able to apply here, whether that's managing the risk of different pieces of this as well. Uh, so um, we have a huge adoption uh, within the dairy industry of the Dairy Revenue Protection Program. Obviously very important to many producers this year as the price of milk dropped through the floor back in April and May and early June. Um, and they were protected on a huge drop in milk prices. Um, they, like most, 
don't want insurance to kick in. But when it does, it's critically important. Um, let me mention a couple other things more through the Farm Service Agency or NRCS, and that's on the production side. Um, we do have um, a, 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 some uh, disaster management tools. Brad mentioned um, farmers.gov. You'll find a disaster recovery um, a, a spreadsheet there that will allow you to pop in there and see if you maybe qualify for livestock indemnity program or you had a hurricane or a wildfire go through, where can you go to to be able to get some fencing redone or some cost share uh, to manage some loss in crop. Um, we do as well have a program through risk, risk management agency called the Pasture, Rangeland and Forage. Um, a large number of folks uh, take that policy out we're going right now through a comment period. We just extended that comment period until uh, I believe it's December 21st. Um, and so that comment, it, comments are open there. I'm sure some of you are aware of that and have used that program. That's really looking at protecting that, that feed cost that a person can be exposed to in times of low rainfall. We're always looking for ways to be able to manage that a little bit better uh, as well. So. Look at FSA for, for some of those disaster response tools. Look at these other programs for some risk management that you can buy into. Think and work with your uh, land grant folks and others out there that can bring other tools uh, to risk management agency. Um, and again, thank you for uh, the work that you do. Um, it's a, a great field to be in, uh, full of great people but uh, always challenging and certainly the last several years have been particularly challenging and need for all of us know we need more and better risk management tools. So thank you for having me a part of this, Brad. Bill, thank you uh, for those comments. Uh, Bill and Greg are with us just uh, a few more brief moments uh, before they get on other uh, activities on their day as well and we, and we introduce our next panel. Um, I failed to ask, mention at the beginning that you can ask questions of our speakers uh, by typing in the chat box or the Q&A box. And I've already uh, addressed a couple questions in the Q&A box, but uh, a question in general that I wanna raise to both to Bill and Greg. Um, uh, first uh, to Bill, uh, LRP has in fact been uh, amended or, or changes made to LRP program twice this year, uh, both times uh, improving the, uh, the federal support level for the, for the policy. Uh, can you discuss very briefly what the, what the decision-making process or, or what, the, uh, uh, what the issues were as you address to uh, think about why to make those changes? Well, I mentioned we do have a, a significant usage within the feeder cattle portion of LRP, but others we don't. We have, it's available for pork producers as well as feedlots. Uh, we saw um, a, a need and we heard that there were larger producers that would like to be able to use that then we're able to access with our previous limits. Um, and then um, certainly risk management costs money and, and to be able to buy the insurance coverage looked like it was eating into a lot of that profit margin that folks thought they were able to get. So for us to be able to buy down that cost with increasing subsidy is I think a good investment for the taxpayer, just like it is for crops. Uh, it's important for us to be able to have producers um, that are in a 
you know, need some risk management, be able to buy that risk management at an affordable price. And it was way for us to make it more affordable for folks. Great, thank you, Bill. Uh, we have a couple other questions. Actually, we'll come uh, come uh, to the uh, discussion uh, during our next presentation. So, uh, Shannon Nybergs has opened up the a presentation here to get ready for his part of the, the discussion. Uh, I want to close this part and thank Greg and Bill for their time. Uh, if you have questions for USDA, uh, further questions as we go throughout the webinar. Uh, if there are questions for USDA that we can't answer uh, from our content to follow. Uh, please know that you can ask them and uh, Greg and Bill are prepared. Their offices are prepared to help us answer those questions and get back to you. So with that, I thank you both uh, for your time. Uh, we greatly appreciate the participation. As noted, this is a, uh, a collaboration between USDA and the Extension Risk Management Education Program, but it's a good example of bringing uh, sort of multiple folks and, and partners together to address uh, key issues and important uh, challenges for us in the year ahead. Thank so you, thank you, Greg and Bill. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, I now have the thank privilege you. of introducing our next uh, uh, panel, uh, starting with Shannon Nybergs. Uh, Shannon is a uh, economist, a livestock economist at uh, Washington State University, and as I mentioned, is a colleague of mine as the director of the Western Extension Risk Management Education Center. I believe following Shannon will be Dr. Elliot Dennis. Uh, Elliot is a livestock economist here at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Uh, and then Brandon Willis. Uh, Brandon is a uh, uh, owner and founder of Ranchers Insurance uh, Company in Utah, is a previous administrator of USDA's Risk Management Agency, uh, and is in fact a, a, a part-time instructor as well at, the, at Utah State University. So we welcome Shannon and Elliot and Brandon uh, to the program, and I turn it over to Shannon. All right, thank you, Brad. Really appreciate that introduction and being part of this program today. Uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to present a few slides to frame uh, livestock risk management, uh, repeat a few points on the make what programs are available, and then we'll turn it over to Dr. Dennis for some in-depth uh, research and review of programs and Mr. Willis on the implementation. In terms of framing the livestock risk management challenges, just a few points uh, to address the biological growth processes. That's certainly a risk that we all face and it's a long-term risk. And I point out on the cow-calf producers, they're looking at almost a year and a half from the time they turn their bulls out to the time they sell their weaned calves. So trying to predict that risk of what occurs so long into the future and even as you're preg checking your cows uh, this fall and moving uh, uh, towards holding those cows over, that risk process is really challenging given that time frame. And then the risk of the feed and health con efficiency conversion, that's a production risk that producers face and it's infeasible to liquidate in response to adverse market conditions. And so, you want to be able to protect, protect your positions prior to these events. We're also facing increasing price risk. Uh, Greg mentioned the high packer concentration and the impacts of the uh, Holcomb, Kansas packing plant fire, as well as the COVID challenges of packing plants. Well, we're gonna continue that high packer concentration. That's gonna remain with us in the future and 
that's really a, an important part of the production chain in dealing with those economics of size efficiencies, particularly as we compete in the export market. And we have an increasing share of exports, which increases our price risk. And so those factors are gonna continue into the future. We also have biosecurity and disease risk, and we only have to point out to the widely reported challenges in China and the resulting impacts into the United States swine industry from the African swine fever outbreak. And then there's extended runs of low profit margins, and so you can't rely on increased prices in one year to offset periods of low profits in preceding years, and so that challenges uh, producer profitability and the need to implement risk management. And really this final bullet point is really critical in dealing with risk management. And if that, if the markets are shocked, it's too late for producers to respond at that point in time. It requires pre-planned risk management. So getting back to the market shock, if markets are shocked and they go limit down, well, that suspends the risk manage, the sale of risk management tools. So if you're thinking that you're going to be able to uh, respond in time, that's not going to work. Uh, so you really need pre-planning. And part of that pre-planning management is knowing your cost of production and referencing the cost, the premium cost of these insurance tools relative to that cost of production, incorporating into, into it your cost of production so that you're uh, well-versed to take action and make strategic plans. And just a few more uh, comments on the tools, the, the portfolio of tools that are available to livestock producers relative to this profit function and where these tools fit into these profit functions. Uh, the whole farm revenue protection, uh, that's based on historic schedule F revenues and putting a floor on those revenues. And some of the changes that were implemented in 2020 was an increase from one to $2 million for livestock operations. Uh, they implemented some revenue history smoothing provisions. So a bad year has less impact uh, on your average as you move forward. Uh, they made some changes to the uh, non-agriculture uh, or the non-insured crop disaster assistant programs that SNAP and the disaster payments are excluded from your revenue to count in the calculation of those revenues. And an issue of producers carrying NAP can't receive a premium discount under whole farm. Moving to PRF, as Bill mentioned before, uh, covering losses in grazing or forest or hay for uh, hay production, and re-emphasizing the point that the comment period is open till December 21st, 2020, and you can make comments on the improving this program as you've used it in the past. But clearly that's another, uh, particularly out West, it's been uh, an effective risk management tool on that grazing resources. The LGM, new premium subsidies for cattle and swine and moving the premium due dates to the end of the endorsement period as Mr. Northey mentioned. Uh, dairy revenue protection, 
also uh, mentioned by Mr. Northey and modified the, the sales period over the weekends because of the high volatility of milk. Continued improvements trying to make uh, risk management tools more effective towards the livestock producers. And LRP, uh, the, as mentioned, the increased premium subsidy, the increased livestock head limits uh, from 4,000 to 6,000 head to per cattle endorsement and 40,000 for swine endorsement and uh, modified the livestock ownership requirements to relax that to 60 days so producers can roll out of their livestock holdings if uh, conditions warrant. Uh, increased the swine endorsement lengths to 52 weeks to help the swine producers use this tool better. And then expanded the feeder cattle and swine types to allow for onborn livestock to be insured. Uh, this slide is not to go through, but uh, if for those uh, requesting these slides or this information, it's the sources and, and the information that you could get more information on each of these programs that I mentioned and uh, some contact information. So I'll uh, stop my uh, sharing as we move to uh, Dr. Dennis, and as Dr. Dennis is getting his slides up, I'll give a little brief inter introduction. Uh, Dr. Dennis is an assistant professor in agriculture economics at the University of Nebraska since 2019, following attaining his PhD at Kansas State University. Dr. Dennis concentrates his research on the economics of livestock marketing, economics of livestock disease, and livestock risk management. Dr. Dennis is widely sought to make market outlook presentations and provide reports on livestock marketing issues. Uh, we're fortunate to have Dr. Dennis with us today to share his research and insight on livestock risk management with a special emphasis on LRP. So thank you, Elliot, please go ahead. Thanks, Shannon. Um, and for people who I'm gonna be going through a lot of these slides, um, all of these slides and, uh, can be found at this website here uh, farm.unl.edu. Um, if you're looking for uh, the slides that are, will be under my name um, and you can reference other materials that I've posted around this. Um, so we, we're gonna go through these slides rather quickly, but know that they will be posted online um, for, you know, that you can download. Just wanted to briefly, you know, touch on why we even talk about price risk insurance and why does RMA really you know, provide this product. Well, this happened in uh, really in 2000 when the first product started to be kind of rolled out. Um, and really the objective is to provide reasonable protection of financial uh, risks as they relate to price and income fluctuations. Because of that, a number of products have been introduced which Shannon reviewed. Uh, I'm gonna focus most of my comments on how the performance of these products have worked since they've been really adopted since or implemented in 2003 to 2019. Now we're gonna focus a little bit on specifically on LRP. Uh, and the reason why we'll focus on LRP is there's just a lot of activity out there relating to the, uh, particularly the subsidy levels. We're gonna talk about how LRP as a risk management tool compares to other uh, products such as you can go buy uh, other options at CME uh, in Chicago and look at how that performance and premiums vary at different 
um, contract lengths. So let's just talk about how the performance um, and the use of these products has changed nationally. So this gives a just kind of what the total liability has been over time uh, by the different commodities. Uh, what you'll notice is that dairy has been the primary user. This is for both LRP use and LGM use. Um, so really the people who have utilized these as Ms. Um, Missinor, the uh, told us in the beginning has been dairy producers. We've seen some adoption in the cattle and almost all of that is in LRP. Uh, lamb um, is also heavily used as a proportion of production. This is breaks it down by what LGM is. So we have LGM on the left side, LRP on the right side, on the um, x-axis on the bottom, we have the years going across. And this is how many head are actually covered. So this gives us an idea of who is using the types of product. And what you really realize is over here in LGM, it's primarily swine. So these are people who are uh, really protecting that gross margin. Um, and then over here on the LRP side, uh, the primary users were um, lamb operators. Lamb has been a little bit hit and miss due to confidentiality and, and some reporting and how they actually come up with that number. Uh, and swine is LRP use is used to a, a lesser extent. And really what we've seen is kind of a, a decline in, in the use. And some of the hope was that by changing maybe some of these contract specifications, how the uh, product is used, that um, it can be further adopted by, by producers. This gives you an idea of what the share of inventory is. And so essentially what we can do here is we look at total number of animals that are in inventory um, as the denominator and total number of animals that are covered um, as the numerator. You divide those and you get a what percentage of, of the market is actually using LRP or these different, these different LRP and LGM. And what you see is that sheep or yeah, lamb really production has been the biggest benefactor, benefactor of this. This is for all market lambs. And really down here, dairy to a lesser extent, this is about, you know, about 2%. And really what you've seen here is that, you know, it hasn't really changed dramatically over time. We've seen a little bit of decreased use since in, in uh, swine, um, but really overall it's been pretty steady, but at really extremely low numbers. To give an example, overall between 2003 to 2019, only 0.17 or 0.17% of the, all the cattle inventory were used any sort of risk management as sponsored by uh, the RMA. One way that we can look at uh, the performance of these insurance tools is use something we call loss ratio. Loss ratios are just the indemnities divided by the premiums. So when the indemnities, when that number is over one, basically it's paying out a lot more than people are paying in. When it's below one, then people are paying in more than it's paying out. Really where we want for a, a valid tool is we want it to be pretty close to one as, as best we can. That dotted red line is the loss ratio of one. And what you can see here is that over time, most of these tools have varied quite a bit. When we're uh, particularly focusing on LRP, 
most of these tools have really kind of underperformed. Uh, negative, these red numbers are when the loss ratios are below one. So that would mean producers are actually paying more premiums than they're actually getting in coverage. Um, this is you know, pretty close to one, the 0.86. So it has over time, uh, they've done modifications to make it so that that loss cost ratio is, is closer to one. Uh, it, we'll have to see how uh, with the new changes that RMA has implemented, you know, how that's impact, it will impact the, the loss cost ratio moving forward. As Shannon mentioned, there's another way that livestock can also be covered, and that's through uh, whole farm insurance. Previous to 2014, it was called Agra, AgriLite. Um, AgriLite was kind of a simplified version, more for smaller producers. Um, and what you can see is that these modifications in the, these policies can have a, a huge impact. Well, whole farm is a, pretty much a different product than Agra, AgriLite. Um, these policy changes, you know, have, you know, a lot of benefit. And so what, whether we'll see that same adoption um, and use with LRP, we'll, we'll just have to see in, in the next coming years. But this is, gives you an idea of what a policy change has potential to positively impact the industry, those policies that uh, Mr. Northey and uh, Mr. Ibachwartite were referring to. So let's just focus on LRP and we're gonna talk briefly about how this looks like um, in the geography of, of the United States and, and then go into the performance of it as it relates to other put options offered through the CME. This is the uh, how subsidy levels have changed to give you an idea of, they've put a lot of effort and time and, and thought to try to look at LRP. Uh, as Shannon mentioned, LRP works as an at the money or out of the money put. Um, and essentially what it does is you can subsidize or you can choose to cover a certain percentage of the price. This subsidy level used to be pretty consistent. And as you've seen since 2018 and recently these past two years, subsidy levels have increased dramatically. Um, so we're focusing on that just because there's a lot of activity there. And as Shannon mentioned, probably the biggest thing um, that should really help is that we have to pay that premium at the end of the endorsement period. Um, that allows us not to have a, a large check, right? You know, that day, call up our banker, get the check um, after hours, and then put in the insurance product, um, allows for a lot more flexibility. So let's just talk about where these policies are actually sold. Who's using LRP currently? So uh, what we can do is, uh, this is all publicly available. What we do is all policies uh, sold and we divide it by policies sold in given states. And really what we see is that most of the policies are sold right here in the uh, Northern Plains. These, are, these four states comprise about 80 to 85% on a yearly basis of total LRP policy sold. The, as we go from darker blue to lighter blue, that, that implies that uh, the total policies sold are of an increasing share. And these, what you'll see is that there's certain areas that just don't sell LRP. Producers don't, haven't adopted that. And of course, this is for 2019. 
And so this is going to vary year to year on, on the share um, and who's actually enrolling. But what we see here is that there hasn't been widespread adoption outside of the Northern Plains area. So on the y-axis here, we have percent of total policies sold. So this is taking that spatial map that we had for just 2019, taking these four areas, four states, and just plotting them historically. So we have year on since the policies were originated on the x-axis and the percent of those policies. The, what I'll focus on is Nebraska here is the blue line really, or turquoise line. And what you've seen is, you know, Nebraska is then pretty much the number one user of LRP really since its origination. Now, all of this data is of course, uh, free to, to download from USDA RMA website. If you have, and it's also broken down by county. Uh, I'm not gonna go into the county level data but uh, you can also see that as well. So just like we have insurance policies, we can look at how the loss ratios have changed over time. Once again, we want this to be pretty much around one. Um, anything more than that shows that people are paying in premiums a lot more than, or sorry, that they're receiving a lot more indemnity than they're paying in. So in this given year, right, this of course varies over time, 2019, Louisiana, Arkansas um, area, you know, paid out quite a bit of indemnities more than than was put in. Uh, but on average, most of these are about around one as it varies by state. So overall, there is not a large uh, geographical difference between how this policy is performing. It's just whether there is an adoption, uh, whether that adoption is happening over time. So let's just talk about LRP, uh, specifically what how LRP relates to really other risk management tools. Uh, LRP is was specifically designed for smaller producers in mind. So for a lot of you are aware, the CME offers contracts for feeder and fed cattle. They have uh, weight limits on that. Uh, so 40,000 and 50,000 pound weight limits on those contracts. And really it puts producers in... Um, smaller producers at a difficult situation where maybe they're marketing 20 head in, um, in October and then they're marketing 30 or 40 head and additionally in January, or maybe they just uh, feel like they don't wanna use CME options. They don't, they feel uncomfortable with maybe, you know, different margin calls if they're hedging or for a variety of reasons, maybe they don't wanna use CME options. Um, LRP is, a potential option. And what we want is to, is hopefully see that LRP can substitute uh, for smaller producers, but we don't want it to hopefully take away from CME option use. Um, so we want them to be pretty much equivalent. So to, for those who are not familiar, LRP works essentially like a put option. So a put option covers downside risk and allows for upside uh, the producer to benefit from upside prices. Currently, LRP is only offered as an at the money or out of the money put. So uh, the way uh, puts work is that essentially all LRP is related to time value. So uh, the farther away you are from 
when you buy that product, uh, the more expensive that that becomes. And so to give you an example here, um, if I was going to completely cover 100% of that coverage price, and I was in October, I was trying to cover October price, that would have cost me $6 per hundredweight. But all the way back here in March, it was going to cost me about $9. So about $3 more expensive per hundredweight. Um, the far, so that kind of gives you an idea is the farther we're out, the more premium we're going to pay. And the reason why is because there's more risk. There's a greater likelihood of that price falling below the coverage price. And so in order to compensate for that risk, producer or the insurance agents charge a premium on that, or it's the rate is set as a premium. So the big question is how do LRP and CME options compare? So what I did is I just pulled a one day, you know, so whether this, this is consistent through time is um, something that I'm currently in discussions with, with the CME. Um, how does LRP and the CME options vary? Well, what we can see here is that when it's positive, that means LRP is more expensive than CME options. So what you do here is you pull the LRP premium quote and you pull that same price CME quote. And what you really wanna see is that it's pretty much zero. You know, you wanna see that these premiums are equating over time. Without the subsidy, LRP is actually more expensive than, um, and for this day, than um, CME options. But with the subsidy, especially with the new subsidies, we're looking at really a almost a 30%, 40% in some months uh, discount over CME options. And so producers are looking at this, you know, potentially might say, I can go and manage CME, I could use LRP, and really for the smaller producer, there's a huge economic, or I should say financial incentives to use LRP more to manage that risk. If someone's wanting to manage that risk, then they have options. Well, uh, currently on this day, um, LRP would have been a lot cheaper than, than traditional CME options. The red line represents what the old subsidy was at that 25% level. Then the green line represents um, the new subsidy level. And then uh, some, some of you might not, might not be aware, but for uh, beginning farmers and ranchers, they actually get an additional 10% premium subsidy across regardless of the coverage price level. And so even then you get even a, even a larger percent of subsidy because the government's invested in, in wanting to help producers, especially smaller producers manage that, that potential uh, price risk. So the question is how do these products perform? One way that we can look at this is just say, okay, if we are gonna have different strat marketing strategies uh, we could sell just in the cash market. We can use some sort of combination between, you know, buying, you know, some pretty advanced ones like a, maybe a synthetic put. And really what we're looking at is how does this put relate to LRP subsidy? And really what we can see here is regardless of the subsidy, it works identical 
to um, buying, going out to CME and buying a put option. I think that just gives a lot of confidence. When I see that, I, I feel like the product is performing as well as it can be um, as if I were to go buy something from a commercial products um, such as CME. So there is no, uh, on this given day, there was no problem with the performance of uh, LRP. And it was, it would be as if you are going and buying a CME put option at either at the money or in, or in the money. So just in conclusion, I wanted to just to recognize that um, while producers, we encourage pr producers to manage this uh, price risk, there's also a, a need, you know, to have crop insurance agents also kind of sell this product um, and provide it as an option during their uh, weekly or monthly conversations. There are some kind of barriers to why a producer may or may, or an agent, or a crop insurance agent may or may not want to sell this. Brandon is more familiar with this and he does this on a daily basis, but recognizing that there's a cooperative effort between producers kind of demanding that product um, and asking their insurance agents to do that and also the crop insurance agents selling that. With that, I'll turn it back to you, Shannon. Yeah, great, Elliot. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for uh, providing that information on LRP relative to that contract size and the subsidy rates. I think that's just fascinating graphs that you presented. Uh, as Brandon's uh, getting his share screen started, he's going to provide some information, and I'll give Brandon an introduction and let that uh, technology transpire. It's my pleasure to introduce Mr. Brandon Willis. Mr. Willis has bachelor's degree from Utah State University, a law degree from the University of Wyoming, and a master's of law degree from the University of Arkansas. Mr. Willis has extensive administrative experience serving as an agricultural legislative assistant for Senator Mac Baucus, drafting sections of the 2008 Farm Bill that are still in effect today. Mr. Willis then served on post with the USDA Farm Service Agency, then as senior advisor to the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. And then from 2013 to 2016, Brandon served as the administrator for the Risk Management Agency. Mr. Willis is now back in Utah as a principal owner of Ranchers Insurance and is also co-director of the Institute of Government and Politics and teaching in the Department of Agriculture Economics at Utah State University. So thank you for taking the time to uh, help us with this webinar, Mr. Willis, and I'll leave the floor to you. Perfect, and, and you can see my screen, is that correct, Shannon? Yes, I can. Oh, good, because I'm not the IT specialist <laughs> here. Uh, thanks for that introduction. I, I realized just as soon as you saw that introduction, I was supposed to send you some information to help you out <laughs> on that. Um, so, as Shannon mentioned, I oversaw USJ's insurance products for, for, for four years. And one of the frustrations when I did that was just, we didn't have anything good for livestock producers. We just didn't. Congress actually made a major change that allowed USDA to improve these products about three years ago. And to Bill Northey's credit, he was the undersecretary on earlier. They've really done a great job. These changes are, 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 are big. Um, and, and I'll go through some of the numbers here, but, but if you've heard of LRP before and you kind of thought, yeah, it's not worth my time, it probably wasn't then. 
but I can tell you it, it is now. If, if you're running your operation as a business, this is a program you should pay attention to. So I, I'm, I'm gonna try to handle some things from a more practical standpoint. That's why I'm sharing my screen. If LRP is something you're interested in, the, the first thing you wanted to do is, well, how much does it cost? You wanna know how much it costs? What kind of a floor price am I putting under, uh, under my, my cattle? And you can find this a few places. Unfortunately, the USDA does a lot of things great. IT technology is not one of them. You can go to USDA's website, but you'll leave frustrated. So if you want to go every day and look at how much does LRP cost and what are the prices, LRP calculator is a pretty good place to look. It's pretty simple to use. Uh, let's just look at the most recent data available. You scroll down, if you're swine or lamb, uh, you, can, you can click on those. But if I want to look at cattle here, I, I just click on the, the cattle one here. And it takes you to the most recent data available. Now, when you're signing up for LRP, you can see this drop-down box. You can ensure based upon the weight uh, and type of livestock. I'm going to do just the most common one, which is feeder cattle, 600 to 900 pounds. The important thing to, to, to understand with LRP, and it kind of goes back to Elliot's presentation, they're using CME numbers. So it should operate, it should function like the CME product because they're actually using CME, num CME numbers. And when you're insuring a feeder cattle, uh, between a, a steer between 600 and 900 pounds, they're actually using prices right off the feeder cattle futures. And at the end of the insurance product, when we look at, are you gonna get paid for your product? They are going to look at the feeder cattle index, which is exactly what a CME contract was settled on. So when you do that, this is what's gonna pop up. The way, the way this product works is you kind of, it, you, you try to figure out, well, when am I most likely to sell those you know, calves? Maybe calves, maybe you have a stocking operation, maybe you're a feedlot, all of those will work. Uh, in this case, let's just pretend that maybe you're backgrounding some, some, some feeder cattle, you're gonna buy them here early November, and let's just say you're gonna sell them in, in a few months. You can see the first LRP product you could purchase from now would be, uh, it would end in February. If you can see my cursor, hopefully you can see my cursor. Uh, it would be this, the, the 9th of February, another product in March, another one in April. What you can also see is, this is a 21 week endorsement. You would have purchased it on Monday, I believe. Uh, the end date is the 6th of April and the feeder cattle futures the price they're using, the expected price is 140. If you were to look, I'm sure that's very close to where the feeder cattle futures were. One of the nice things about this product is you get to pick. Do you want to have a, you know, I'll use the term at the money. Do you want to insure at the money, which would be 99% or do you want to go down and kind of have a catastrophic coverage? And all you see here is, is, is this percent is multiplied by what they expect the price to be. And your coverage price, I would think of the coverage price as a price floor. So you can find out every single day, well, what can I lock in today? And then the next question, well, how much does it cost? You go over there for the highest level of coverage, it would have cost you $4.74 per hundredweight. That's a little bit more than you want to spend. Then the next place I would look is because of the way the subsidy is structured, you get a little higher subsidy if you get just below 95%. Now, oftentimes we're going to have a 94% coverage. Today we don't. We'll look at the dramatic price drop from a 470 to a 230. Those are kind of the two areas, the top one and right, 
below 95% is where you probably wanna look to see what's available. One of the things that this website does is it compares kind of the average cost. When there's more volatility in the market, just as it would with the put, it's gonna, you're gonna pay a little more. And so you can see a little bit more volatility. Historically, that same kind of a contract costs a little bit less. One of the other things you can do if you're curious to say, well, how would this have done historically? I wanna put some, you know, a paper to pencil. You can hit this details. It does ask you for your email and phone number, but don't worry, we're, you know, you're not gonna get uh, spammed. This just shows you year by year, if you had purchased LRP at approximately the same timeline, you know, early starting in November, ending in April as this contract was, it breaks it down by year, what you would have insured at every year, what the actual value ended up being, what happened there, and then just it includes today's cost. And you can just see uh, which years it provided you good coverage and which years you didn't. And perhaps you can go back and look at your profitability and decide if LRP would have been a good fit. So that's kind of, that's the LRP calculator. It's a good place uh, to look for prices. There just really aren't, as of right now, any, any other great places. My contact information is, is at the top here if you have any questions there. A few questions that, that, that clients often ask, and I'm, I'm trying to talk quick because I know we have, we're running out of time. Recognize this is working off national prices. It doesn't matter what you sell your cattle for or your swine. It's just like a CME contract. Now, of course, there's correlation between what the market's doing on a national level and what your cattle are bringing. But recognize when we look at these floor prices, we're, we're going off of, uh, off a national price there. LRP does have, you know, that 60, it's changing to 60 days, but if you sell your livestock more than six days before the contract ends, so if you're looking at the screen now, more than 60 days before February 9th, the contract is void. So you wanna be cognizant of that. Now, hopefully it meant that you received what you wanted for the market and that's not a problem. Bill Northey talked about briefly the livestock gross margin. That is a product that's also undergone major changes. It's more for those finishing livestock. So if you're the owner of livestock right before they go to the slaughterhouse, that's a product to, to consider. But as of today, you cannot do both. So you really have to pick and choose. If you sign up for one, you're not gonna be able to do the other. Uh, finally, how do you find an agent? Uh, I'm not gonna make this an infomercial for myself, but I will say there are not a lot of agents that wanna focus on LRP. Historically, it has not been a good product. Now it is a good product. You have to do special training as an agent to sell it. The best thing to do is if you look at USDA's website, they have an agent finder tool and you can click on a little button that says find an agent that sells livestock. You can, you can find those people so you're not talking to every you know, corn and soybean agent and call them up. And if they know the product, you'll be able to tell pretty quickly. You want an agent that, that knows a product and they're out there, uh, but, but a lot of them just don't wanna focus. The one thing to also, and I'll, I'll conclude with this, LRP is different. You buy it, you can buy it any day, but you have to buy it when the market's closed. So what that means is you want to go to the LRP calculator late in the afternoon when it updates every day with the new prices and the new rates. And that also means you're probably gonna be calling a crop insurance agent in the evening or early morning to lock it in. And so just get, you know, kind of get your mindset that this is a late afternoon, evening uh, or early morning sale. And that's another reason why some livestock or some agents don't, uh, don't get too excited. Um, as you look through this, hopefully you can kind of see the value of the product and, and think about with, with your marketing, how it works. The final tip I'll give you is don't wait till calves are on the ground. You used to have to, 
we went to a lot of effort, uh, and I was one of the individuals that kind of wrote wrote the proposal uh, to USDA. You want to be looking at this now if you're a cow-calf producer, because unborn calves, if you're a cow-calf producer, can be insured. So if the market in November, December, January, February gets where you want it to be, and it might not be there today, I'll tell you, I'll admit that, but if it gets there, you might want to lock in a profit uh, for next June, July, August, September. So those are just kind of some of the, the, the quickest tips I could provide in, in less than 10 minutes. Shannon, I'll, I'll turn that back to you. Thanks for letting me on today. Yeah, thank you, Brandon. Uh, fabulous website, uh, really provides a service. Let's jump right into the questions. And first, uh, let's deal with this one question about uh, LRP and feeder cattle since we're right here. Uh, this individual's looking to uh, investigate LRP and how does feeder cattle LRP apply to the stalker cattle owner that may retain ownership into the feed yard? So how would, uh, uh, any, any suggestions to this question? I'll offer a few thoughts and, 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 and Elliot or Brad might have some others. First of all, it works well. The rule that is a little prohibitive is for those that sell livestock more than 60 days in advance of the LRP contract ending. You can retain them. So if you want to purchase a contract until they're say 900 pounds and then retain them onward, that's just fine. You can do that. You could also purchase based on the fed cattle LRP contract. You could actually, if you know you're going to retain them, you could purchase it uh, for, for when they're going to go to slaughter. LRP has contracts up to 52 weeks out, up to a year out. Now, you got to have enough trade in the market for those far out weeks, but usually you can get 43 weeks out with some regularity. So LRP would work uh, in that case. Yeah, I like that idea of having those two contracts or two endorsements. I think that would work well. Okay, uh, let's let's keep going. Um, uh, Maybe uh, let's let's deal with this one. Is there any insight on what do you attribute the greater adoption of LRP in the Northern Plains to? Yeah, so I'll go ahead and take that. Uh, I'm not really sure. I was kind of curious about that. I I think there's been a kind of a a large emphasis since I've been in, at Nebraska on really pushing LRP as a tool. Even when I, I talk with crop insurance agents, there's actually quite a few crop insurance agents that I've talked to that actually sell LRP in a consistent basis. So I think it's a kind of a combination of what Brandon was talking about um, and some maybe some producer mindset. The agent has to be willing to be familiar with it and they have to be willing to, to sell the product at, at self, that self. Um, those are probably the biggest things, but I'm not really sure why it's, it's really been consistent over time um, and LRP is primarily feeder cattle um, that LRP use. It's not um, in other forms. Okay, let's let's move on to a question is, how is the hundredweight determined estimate or certified scale? And I think this is more on the interpretation of what LRP is. Go ahead, Brandon. When you sign up, you look at that end date, that time period, you estimate what the livestock would weigh. 
It's, it's an estimate. You do not have to, you, and that's a very good question. I'm glad you brought it up. You do not have to prove the weight of the livestock at the end. Now, you know, if you want to be an effective risk management tool, you want to be accurate. But what you are going to have to prove is that you own the livestock. And whatever entity or individual puts their name on the application for LRP needs to be the one that when that check is written is the one receiving the money for that check. So it's just an estimate. Do your best. Don't, don't lose any sleep over that. Um, it's a, I, I, should, I should also mention to sign up for LRP, there's a, it's a two-step process. One, you fill out a, a very simple application with your name, address, everything like that. You sign a form so you're in USJ system. Then that day that the market's where you want, you pick up your phone, call a crop insurance agent and lock it in using an endorsement. You don't want to do those the same days if you can avoid it. You want to have the policy in the system because you want to have that policy in good shape so that you receive the subsidy. Okay, thank you. Uh, maybe Brandon, do you know, well, we know that the change to be able to ensure onborn calves, that change was announced this summer. Do you know when those uh, endorsements will be offered? I think any day now we're gonna, you know, the major change, the subsidy is already in effect, the new subsidy, but the 60 day rule, so you can sell, you know, it used to be 30 days, now it's 60 days, unborn calves uh, for swine, now you can ensure a year out. Those changes in particular should be available. I, you know, USDA makes that decision. But my understanding was they were aiming for November. All right, and uh, on lamb, on the lamb LRP, uh, we saw Elliot presented quite a bit of uh, lamb LRP usage. But uh, the question in particular is: Is the lamb contract workable and viable given the lack of market information? I hope so. You know, it's off. If it's offline now, I, I, I think there's some concern. You know, there used to be a historical lamp product that was taken off. Um, I don't know when it's going to be, when it will be back available. I, I, I hope soon, but I'm not optimistic to be very upfront. I come from a sheep ranch, so I'm a fan. Yeah, very good. Uh, a question on PRF. Uh, why is it not allowed for landowners to purchase PRF if the renter of the pasture is not taking out a PRF policy. Landowners still have taxes to pay and fences to maintain during a drought period. And I might uh, add, add a comment to that question in that I, I think the original design of the PRF program was for the people working the land, in this case, the renters. Uh, I would refer you back to the period of open comments because now they're looking at evaluating PRF. They're looking at these uh, particular instances of what's not working on this program. And so uh, it's, I think it's hard to say why exactly the originators didn't include it. It might've been philosophy. It might've been a little oversight, but now's the time to act to try to get those changes in place. Could I just add on PRF, Shannon? Sure. If if you're you know if if, if you're running your business, your 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 cattle operation is a business. Look in your numbers. You ought to spend time looking at at, at PRF as well. It has a higher subsidy than LRP. It predicts you know something completely different. 
the, the reason you ought to know that now is USDA's deadline to sign up for 2021 is Monday, and they don't they don't provide exceptions for that. But if you haven't looked at what PRF, it's a it's, it's worth looking at. It really is. All right, thanks. Let's uh, let's look at this uh, interesting question. Let me try to find it back in the question box. Uh, Okay, here it is. Uh, and maybe Elliot, you might be best first to answer this question. Does LRP help the producers a little better by preventing speculators out of the market versus the CME options put, put options contract? Yeah, so there's, there is generally a producer concern that the market moves against them because, but as Brandon was saying, the it's actually the, LRP price is settled against the feeder cattle index. And so LRP doesn't necessarily prevent some of that down risk. It's just where, what product are you using to set the floor? So Brandon was talking, you can use LRP to set a, a coverage price floor, or you can go directly to CME options and buy that coverage price floor. So the speculators don't really, I guess, impact your decision on whether you should put a floor in or not. It's gonna affect some of the volatility, but that volatility is gonna be present both in um, the CME options, and that's also gonna be translated down to LRP. So it doesn't prevent that from happening. Um, the, the option premiums themselves are, the way those are calculated is, is probably a, a different story. And there's a lot of people who we don't really know, but it's really setting that coverage floor. And it's just, are you going to use that, do that with LRP? Or are you going to do with that CME options? The reason why a lot of small or smaller producers use LRP is because it allows you to, um, to really lock in production, you know, that aren't they don't fit within that forty thousand or fifty thousand contract, and so they work they work the same. Yeah, and let's build on that. And and uh, given the time, maybe we should make this our last question because we didn't want to run too far over the hour. But uh, and then this will be good to build on this last question and to circle back. I think uh, to some information that's still that you still see on your screen. The question is, is there any more examples of how the LRP works over time and seasonality for young producers that do not have a lot of experience with option contracts? Yeah, so for there, I would, um, I'll, I'll probably answer that first and pass over to Brandon, but um, your local or your, your state uh, organizations generally have a livestock economist. Uh, LRP is you know, something that we look at consistently. Um, there is no performance difference between if you're a young producer or an older producer. Uh, maybe what the person was referring to is maybe they're not familiar with LRP or how options use. That's why we have extension meetings like this and we're always feel free to contact us after the meetings and we can walk through those examples. Uh, look for the person in you know, your state at your local university, um, crop insurances are also able to kind of help manage that. Um, that's kind of what I would say. And there's products that are, LRP works well for 
you know, fed cattle and it also works well for feeder cattle. It's just primarily used by feeder cattle. It's not saying that it doesn't work for fed cattle. Um, and really when people are making that management decision in the, in the fed cattle market, it's, you know, am I going to protect price? If so, if I want to protect output price, then I'm using LRP. If I'm wanting to protect some of my output price and my margin, what I'm paying for what I'm receiving, then it's, you know, using LGM. So it's really when people are trying to say, what product should I use? It's what type of risk do you want to transfer away? Not do they work consistently? That's my thoughts. I'll turn it to Brandon. I'll just, the, the one idea I had is if, if you're kind of curious, you know, seasonality, do, do I want to utilize LRP from January to August, or do I want to wait till the calves drop in April till October? You know, those kinds of questions. If you get on the LRP calculator, you can take the calendar back and pretend as if you bought LRP on January you know, 5th or something like that. So you could actually pick, pick those dates. Uh, I better look at LRP in January, February, March, April, et cetera, what end dates best. You can play with all sorts of scenarios by just going to the calculator and then looking for the details. and It'll show you the 10 year history. Now, with that being said, I don't think I would base too many decisions off that because you, know, you can see just so different results because the market moves different ways. And I don't know that you can necessarily inform a wise decision then but it's something to at least look at. Yeah. And that's a, uh, just to repeat, that's at that rancher's insurance. And I think if you Google rancher's insurance, it'll come right up in the search. Yeah. And they'll have calculator, the website that has that, but you can get there from either one. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So uh, given the time constraint, I'll turn it back to Brad to close, to make some closing comments. Shannon, thank you very much. Uh, Brandon, if I can ask you to stop your share and I'll put up one slide back here again. If I was good at computers, you could ask me to. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do my best. Sorry, I'm so here, sorry. I'll do that. I think I can, I stopped yours. I think okay, good. Here. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. So I think I'm sharing uh, the same title screen that we started with. Uh, I thank uh, those of you that participated today. I thank our panelists for today. I know we didn't get to answer all the questions. We will try to address those in some uh, written documentation to accompany the recording to this uh, website. There are actually two questions I saw there at the end. One was a reminder or a question of what kind of products do we have for death loss? And I believe it's the appropriate answer is there's no RMA products, but there is the standing disaster assistance program called LIP, the Livestock Indemnity Program. That covers death loss due to uh, weather events, weather disaster events, uh, above and beyond normal death loss in the operation. Uh, so there's a, there's a limit, there's effectively a deductible, uh, but there is some death loss coverage available. Uh, there are other answering, interesting questions, we'll try and uh, answer them in our, in our written material to follow. But I thank again our panelists for today. Uh, thanks to, to Greg Eibach and Bill Northey for joining us from USDA earlier. Thanks, uh, Shannon and Elliot and Brandon for your time here and your insight on livestock risk management issues, uh, insurance uh, choices, and, uh, and some of the tools we have to work with uh, producers and, and insurance professionals. Um, as Brandon noted, you can search out an insurance professional uh, that provides LRP and other products by going to the RMA website. Um, and as he noted, not that many insurance professionals specialize in livestock products uh, so it is more of a unique 
market or a unique uh, uh, search for you to, to find. But please don't hesitate to look for uh, professionals that can help you along the way. I thank you again for your time this afternoon. Uh, this webinar is sponsored by USDA and by the Extension Risk Management Education Program. USDA does have additional information available at the USDA.gov website or the farmers.gov website. I know, uh, for example, that the Ag Marketing Service has a webinar series of their own uh, going on here soon, uh, more to the, uh, to the, to the cattle uh, producers, buyers, and, uh, and processors, uh, but additional information available multiple places. Our Extension Risk Management Education Program, in fact, has our annual competitive grants program out for applications as we speak. Uh, there is just one week left before November 19th for applications, but we do encourage uh, educators uh, from institutions, organizations, private sector uh, providers, anyone who's interested in providing producer-focused risk management education can find funding opportunities available through our competitive grants programs at the regional level. If you go to extensionrme.org, you'll find information on each of the regional centers uh, that in fact has uh, the application information available. Uh, I do give a, a shout out for our University of Nebraska uh, Farm and Ranch Management uh, webinar series where we hosted today's webinar. You will get a post-meeting uh, evaluation, a brief uh, evaluation by email that we encourage you to fill out. Uh, we thank you for our participation and encourage you to, to fill that out uh, to provide additional information. If you're looking for a recording of this particular webinar, uh, within a day or so, we will be able to post that up on our website, farm.unl.edu. Uh, look at our webinars page and you'll find uh, a re this recording, uh, as well as a schedule of upcoming webinars and a listing of all our previously recorded webinars in our weekly series. I believe that wraps us up for the day. Uh, we thank you again for your participation and your interest in livestock risk management issues. Uh, we thank our panelists and Wish you all a good day. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.